and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Moneyball. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always, let's travel down the path of the trail of the contrary by my friend Julio. Julio, filling in the gaps here, getting from one arc to another. Uh, Part two of our quick little turnaround here of a two-part story arc. Uh, We, last week, led with the rotten semi-pro this week, bringing to the forefront the 94% rated on Rotten Tomatoes Moneyball. And also, I would say an awards darling, but it really was, you know, the bridesmaid type thing. It <laughs> didn't really win much of anything. Uh, nominations darling. There you go. It won, uh, it, excuse me, it was nominated for several Golden Globes and several Oscars, but didn't take any of them home with it. Uh, but you know, Jonah Hill now can forever say he's a two time Academy Award nominated actor, and this is half of the reason why. <laughs> this is maybe even like the reason that the second one happened. A lot of people would argue that it's a lot easier to get that second nomination. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have to break through the, the award ceiling first, and then once you're part of the club, then they keep inviting you as long as you don't do anything crazy like uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. You know, <laughs> if you behave yourself. Uh, you're just like Tom Hanks. Just keep bringing you over. Uh, a far more deserved nomination with this movie, though, of course. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Moneyball 2011, Best Picture nominee, as I mentioned, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Julio, did you see this in the theater when it was out, when it was released, I should say? Uh, yes. I mean, you know, it's a Brad Pitt movie, so I think that was the main yeah. thing. As As we established... I mean, as we teased in the last episode, uh, baseball, not really my thing. Not uh, not just because sports in general aren't really my thing, but also because I, even growing up, I mean, baseball was a pretty alien uh, concept. So I didn't go to see it for the for the sporty side of it. Uh, it was the, the Brad Pitt part of it and also the novelty, because even, you know, when it opened, they were selling it to you as the, the Jonah Hill serious role you know he's not he's not trying to have sex in this movie <laughs> he's trying to have a career so yeah, th- uh, this was it right this was the the first serious jonah hill it's some might argue the only serious jonah hill am i wrong <laughs> no my silence was me trying to recount in my head and think about it <laughs> i mean what's the next closest one the sitter your no. beloved the sitter Okay, calm down. No, the the next closest one would be get him to the Greek because he gets like Oscar scenes in that movie. <laughs> Jesus, remember at the end when he has like his whole breakdown of everything that's wrong without his snow. I I was so checked out by the end of that movie that no, I don't remember. Uh, I haven't seen Don't Look Up, but he's in that also. It's it's just Jonah Hill doing Jonah Hill. And your beloved War Dogs was another one that he. <laughs> got some hype okay. for that's that's even more ludicrous that statement is more ludicrous than me saying that uh the sitter is is beloved by you <laughs> uh actually if we're being completely sincere and serious here um if you wanted to get down to brass tacks and you know split hairs you could make the argument that cyrus was his first serious outing and that was okay uh, haven't seen it so I'll, it's great I'll it's a great movie it. uh and it was Two years, maybe two, two years or three years before Moneyball, but here he is as the fictional Peter Brand character. Um, 
What do you mean well, fictional? Isn't this uh, inspired by a true story? He's a composite character. Remember how we talked about The Rock and Pain and Gain, his character in that? <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. So coming off of Semi-Pro, which was a fiction that seamlessly blended in truths of a sport, you have a movie here that is based on a true story in so, so many uh, senses of the word in Hollywood, and a movie that positions itself and proffers itself as... A, a true work of nonfiction, and <laughs> Jonah Hill wasn't even a real person. Uh, uh, the the guy who the character is based on, Peter Brand, mm-hmm. who uh, was a gentleman by the name of Paul uh, Deposeta, who yeah, just kind of similar was a Millhouse, and it was. Uh, <laughs> he was going to be portrayed by Dimitri Martin. Just imagine fucking Brad Pitt and Dimitri Martin going back and forth. Uh, but Homeboy didn't want his but, name. But, re- you know, in that timeline, there's the two of us recording an episode of Moneyball, and you're telling me, just imagine Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill going back and forth. <laughs> no shit. Same reaction. Homeboy didn't want his name or likeness used for the movie, though. So the character was named Peter Brand. Brand is a composite of Bean's assistants in Oakland, not an accurate representation of any specific person. But Moneyball director Bennett Miller has credited Depodsita for being generous and helpful with him in making the film. So so he was just like, I'll help you. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. He saw the finished don't product. He's like, there. don't put my name on this shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Really? The kid from Superbad? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of this dude, too. He probably was pissed about it. He's like, I am not that fat. Uh, <laughs> and I can joke about that because I'm fat, and furthermore, Jonah Hill lost a lot of weight since this, and good on him. He's an inspiration in that sense uh, as a fellow fat guy. Wanting to follow in that trail. Um, now, you just need that Hollywood money to make I, it happen. Yeah. Presumably an expensive coke habit. <laughs> I Man, like how you you went from being very careful about not really fat shaming Jonah Hill to just calling him a coke addict. It worked, man, dude. And that's another thing. If I was rich, the first thing I would do is develop a cocaine habit. Like I would be able to buy all of the fucking rare wrestling figures and video games that I want, and I would just do cocaine and stay up playing those video games all the time. But I'm a very frugal person with the money I make now, and that's why I've never dabbled with cocaine because the idea of it to me is like that's for people with dispensable income. So if if and when we get a million patrons, Julio, and I'm <laughs> siphoning the money to myself and mysteriously losing a bunch of weight, you'll know why. Well, we'll do a live stream of you just binging on cocaine and – Doing coke off my Moneyball Blu-ray. There you go. <laughs> It's the Jonah Hill diet, baby. (laughs) Based on Moneyball, the art of winning an unfair game by Michael Lewis. And, of course, the strategy. um, Is it Bill James? Is that the guy who came up with the whole idea of it all? Directed by Bennett Miller. Written by Stephen uh, Zalinian. Do you know how to pronounce this dude's last name? I think it's Zalian. Zalian, okay. And, of course, the incomparable Aaron Sorkin, Bennett Miller, a man of very few films. He directed The Cruise in 1998, Capote in 2005, Return to the Fold with Philip Seymour Hoffman here, Moneyball, and then, of course, Foxcatcher in 2014, which, as you know, I'm a huge fan of. Zalian, uh, a very accomplished screenwriter in his own right. I mean, we're not telling tales at recess to say Aaron Sorkin's amongst the elite of his uh, era, <laughs> but uh, Zalian with Schindler's List, uh, the first Mission Impossible film, Hannibal, Gangs of New York, American Gangster, the American version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Irishman, uh, all to his name. He works with the big boys. He does. He had Moneyball and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2011. I did forget to mention with Jonah Hill, too, when this came around to award season, I think this is one of those movies that was like done for a year or two before it got released uh, because, you know, they all looked considerably different by the time the award season ran around. They get released because off that uh, super bad heat. <laughs> yeah. We could be that mistake. So if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, welcome. Thank you. 
I don't know what brought you here. Is it Brad Pitt? Is it Jonah Hill? Philip Seymour Hoffman always packs the houses, baby. Or Baseball? maybe it's, I was just about to say a love of America's pastime. 162 games. Who could possibly care, as my buddy Mike would say. Um, <laughs> I kid. I love baseball. Fan of sports movies. But we'll get to this. Uh, we'll get to Moneyball in just a second. Returning listeners, you know what's next. Just bear with us here uh, while we explain what it is we do to any and all potential new listeners. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh, uh, much like Moneyball at 94%. And what we will do is bring that movie down to size, make a case for maybe why that ranking doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, maybe some acting, some directing choices, some storytelling choices that we have questions and qualms with. Uh, conversely, on alternating episodes, we'll find a... Mo- um, Find a film on Rotten Tomatoes that is rotten, one of those nasty green splotches, the lowly rated films, typically about 30% and below. And as you would guess, we'll find a way to uh, put a positive spin on it, maybe some under-celebrated acting, cinematography, scores, you know, uh, direction choices, casting choices. Sometimes we got to dig deep, baby, for some of these movies that we do. So <laughs> all of that to comprise the first portion of our podcast known as Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the films that we cover. They just need to hang around till part two, the second half of the episode. That's correct. If you want to know how Alex and I actually feel about any movie that we're covering, you just stick around for Real Talk. That's the, the second episode you see on your on your Contrarian's feed. That's where we just don't care about the tomato meter. We just tell you what exactly we think about the movie. In this case, Alex and I had a brief, very brief conversation before we started recording. So... I know there are things he doesn't like about Moneyball, and I know there are things that he likes. That's as far as my knowledge goes when it comes to my co-host. Together, we'll find out Alex's rating for Moneyball, and you'll also find out mine, because I haven't really shared how I feel uh, with him. So that comes on the second half of the show. But before that, we're just going to give you a recap of the plot and be contrarians about it. Film was nominated for six Academy Awards, Julio. And we'll get more in the second half into the awards it was nominated for and what it was up against because the 2012 Academy Awards celebrating the year that was 2011 in film. um, Fascinating. Is that a polite (laughs) word to use? (laughs) An interesting year (laughs) at the movies. It was 2008. Is that what you're saying? uh, No. Categorically, it was not 2008. I mean, even numerically. It wasn't 2008. <laughs> uh, Man or Muppet did win Best Original Song, so that that was easily the highlight of that year at the Oscars. I um, would have thought was it was it just because the the song that Brad Pitt's daughter sings in this movie is not an original? Is that why it didn't oh, get nominated? Yes, and boy <laughs> and brother, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, that song, this movie was based in 2002, and that song was released in 2008. So first of all, Bennett Miller, <laughs> go fuck yourself with your continuity here. Uh, How do you know that what he's maybe he's saying that this little girl wrote the song all the way back then, and it only yes, but he's to- trying to make you believe everything that happens in this movie is the fucking truth. Like Scott Hatterberg was like this successful baseball player after this movie. Uh, oh, God. I forgot how fucking eye-roll inducing the final title card is that two years after this, the Boston Red Sox went on to win the World Series, implementing the same system that Billy Bean used. They also had fucking David Ortiz hitting him over the fence. Like, it's a ridiculous (laughs) statement to make. Alex, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm going to need to remind you of your your immediate audience, which is me, and you're going to have to really dumb it down (laughs) when you start talking about baseball. Can you dumb it down a shade? Well, that's even the thing, too. Like, our audience out there, typically the ones we speak with, I think, uh, honestly, I I think we have more people that know who fucking CM Punk is than David Ortiz, (laughs) so... (laughs) We specialize in the fiction, both in our fake sports and fake movies, so... Uh, all right, Julio, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like we said, we, you and I were both working together at the theater when this movie came out. Um, and that's always a pretty big indicator of movies. You know, certain ones have the buzz and people come out to see them just because of that. And this was definitely one of those that 
it felt like a movie people were coming to see for reasons beyond that it was a Brad Pitt movie. Um, so it was one that the critics, in a lot of ways, put the asses in the seats. So now we need to know what were these fuckers saying about it and how many baseball analogies were they making? <laughs> I, you know, I kind of did that with the semi-pro uh, quotes, just going all in with the sports references. So I think I only have one in this section. But Good man. There's so much that they have to say about Moneyball, uh, where it's like with semi-pro, there was not much they, they had to say. They didn't care. Here, they were just bending over backwards to say nice things. Uh, Sean Burns from The Improper Bostonian says, A movie about baseball that contains surprisingly little baseball. It's more like the bad news bears with an economics degree. In a good way, he says. Because it's a fresh quote. Bad news bears with an economics degree sounds really fucking boring. (laughs) But I guess to each their own. Was that, Uh, uh, by this point in time, did that Billy Bob Bad News Bears remake had come out? I think so. Yeah, that's like what two thousand three. It's a link later, right? My God, you might be right. Two thousand five. Hey, close enough. Yeah, Richard Linklater. Good call. A very likable Greg Kinnear. <laughs> Isn't he always? <laughs> All right. Next, uh, Brandy Johnson from McLean's Magazine says, directed by Capote's Bennett Miller. This is one hell of a good sports movie. It's a terrific movie. Period. Um, would you? Just not having seen, you know, if you hadn't seen Moneyball, because Moneyball doesn't exist yet, would you pick the guy that directed Capote to make a baseball movie? No. And that is something I I will give him and we'll zone in on a bit more in the second half of this is Capote is for its accomplishments artistically, uh, and they're obviously plentiful. It's not a movie you watch and think that this filmmaker will be able to make an easily digestible movie for the mainstream that keeps their attention yep. the entire time. Yep. This is the guy that's going to change the career of Jonah Hill. <laughs> uh, Mark Sells from The Real Deal says, With razor-sharp wit and delivery, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are sensational together, hitting Moneyball clean and out of the park. There you go. Told you, there was one in there. And finally, Chris Knight from the National Post says, Writer Aaron Sorkin works best at auctioneer speeds, and some of the best scenes involve Pitt's character working the phones, calling, and stalling other teams' managers, trading players like a used car salesman. That is one scene in the movie, Alex. And I honestly... Because the, the Sorkin... Nobody's mentioned in the opening credits. Am I, am I right? Like, Are there no opening credits? Or did I just miss them? I think you're right. I think it starts in with them at the end of the... The ending of the, I guess, 2001 or 2000 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do kind of skip 9-11 in this, which... <laughs> <laughs> they, they yada yada 9-11? I mean, that could be part of the historical fiction of it all. They just... 9-11 didn't happen. Oh, there you, that explains why... Every, you know, butterfly effect. I, I would I would go on... I would go on the out on a limb and say things would probably be better if 9-11 hadn't happened. <laughs> You think so? It's hot take. Hot take from the contrarians. <laughs> I might get canceled for that one. <laughs> so Moneyball begins with us, the audience, the viewing audience, learning that the Oakland Athletics have lost their three star players to free agency. And that pretty quickly we learned that the Red Sox picked up Johnny Damon. So Billy Bean, our main character here, Brad Pitt, is the general manager of the athletics and he needs to put together uh, a team for the 2002 season and the movie starts with brad pitt trying to charm money out of this guy i mean (laughs) presumably the team owner Uh, but it's just brad pitt you know selling his case of why i need more money this movie exists to emasculate brad pitt and it starts off by him begging for money yes uh but this is where i'm gonna throw us back to uh a classic episode in a movie that you that you do love, uh, not unlike The Sitter. This, this is a true <laughs> Alex Mattis movie, uh, and it is almost famous. And the line, "Your looks are becoming a problem," or something along <laughs> that. <laughs> and I'm going to say what no one else has the guts to. Your looks have become a problem. Yes. Uh, so I'm I'm saying that to Brad Pitt. He is Brad Pitt. He was already Brad Pitt when this movie was made. Oh, man. He is like unfairly Brad Pitt in this. Yes. He cannot play a regular guy. That time has passed. That was maybe back in the, uh, I don't know, Telman Luis days. 
you know, maybe even interview with the vampire. We were still trying to figure him out, but now he's Brad Pitt, and and he was Brad Pitt back in 2011. And when they're trying to sell me that this is just a regular Joe with regular problems who just kind of like sits there, and and life hits him time and again, I just I don't buy it. It's Brad Pitt. He's a movie star. You know, some some actors and actresses are just movie stars, and they. They have no business playing regular people because at this point, I just find it borderline offensive. Did you at any point in this movie buy Brad Pitt as, as just a dad that's trying to keep his job? No. <laughs> and there's something that comes up later in the movie that made me like even resent the movie more for trying to make him seem like the down in his luck single father. And we'll, we'll get to that here before too long. <laughs> Who looks like Brad Pitt. <laughs> for real. <laughs> And, you know, he's got to work to get people's respect and shit. Fuck off. <laughs> like, you know, the true OG in this is Phil Hoffman, who we'll get to. But, like, Phil's a good-looking dude. Especially, you know, the majority of his career, he was pretty in good shape. And, you know, he'd have that hair kind of pushed to the side in his beard. Here, you know, he gets the big extra, you know, the spare tire going and then <laughs> shaves his head. And, you know, I don't know about you. He's the character I probably garnered the most sympathy for throughout this. <laughs> because he's so angry so his Bes- anger mirrors your anger as you're watching the movie besides the little kid of course because her options are uh loser brad pitt or spike jones and robin wright who just are constantly getting high on their own farts <laughs> okay you brought it up so let's just get it out of the way right now did you recognize spike jones or did you have to look it up and be like is that spike jones like were you 100 percent certain that that was him when when he came up on, on your screen the first time I saw this movie, and I believe I screened it, he came on screen and I immediately pointed like the fucking Leonardo DiCaprio meme. And I go, that's Spike <laughs> Jones. Like I immediately recognized it was him because it was so weird and out of place. Uh, I mean, Robin Wright, God, she's a beautiful woman. But that whole scene, I wanted to punch everyone <laughs> on screen in the face. <laughs> Like, their stupid monochromatic home, and, you know, they're all white they're wearing with no shoes on, and I guess they're supposed to be the cool parents, because uh-huh. they give the kid the cell phone, and Brad Pitt's supposed to be the loser dad. Oh, God, it's awful. There's one thing that this movie gets right, though, and that is that if Robin Wright was going to leave Brad Pitt, the 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 human specimen that is Brad Pitt, she would leave him for somebody like Spike Jones, you know, which is a complete opposite of him. Charisma wise, physicality wise, it, just the vibe, you know, it, it's it's perfect. Like it's it's I, I know I've gone through it. I think that most people go through it where like there's a breakup and then next time you see your ex, she's dating like the mirror version of you. <laughs> so I think that that's that adds to it. When Brad Pitt walks in and he sees, you know, he has to interact with Spike Jones, he's like, that's he is a hundred percent not me. I wonder uh, if that if they're like bros, like in IRL. I wonder, because, like, you know... How did he get to that set? Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, Spike Jones played an instrumental role in Jackass. And do you remember the episode of Jackass oh. that Brad Pitt was on? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you've told me about it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so... <laughs> so Brad Pitt called him up. They didn't even talk to uh, Bennett Miller. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm making a movie. You want to come in and hang out? I will, I will cast this part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Billy Bean... What's the problem is this thing? He goes to all his scouts and he's just being mean to old people for no reason at these meetings, you know, with the the scouts, the coaches, the people who are going to assemble the team think they have an idea of what to do. And he tells them they're all wrong. And basically what they need to do is figure out how to put together a winning team with the limited resources that they have. So he ends up going to the Indians uh, to meet with their management to negotiate some trades some potential business dealings and this is he just walks into uh, the GM's office and he's got his scouts there and then there uh, serious actor Jonah Hill appears he's just standing there yep. very docile in the doorway it's not a it's not a wild Jonah Hill appears it's like a, a domesticated Jonah Hill appears exactly it's you've encountered serious actor Jonah Hill <laughs> uh, and he quickly learns that he knows something and because he keeps whispering in the ears of some of the scouts that will motion to the GM, you know, what trades they can and can't make, that type of thing. So after this meeting that doesn't really go anywhere, Billy tracks him down and finds his cubicle, asks him who he is. He explains he's Peter Brand. He's an assistant. I'm a composite character. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like the composite guy. I was gonna say, did you see Pain and Gain? But that didn't come out yet. <laughs> he's gonna be like, I'm like the Rock in that movie. Know why habit rhymes with rabbit? Because your whole life disappears down a bunny hole. So Billy wants to know more about him, so he tells him to follow him. They got to the parking lot and exchange, you know, info, and he wants to know more about him, what he does. He has an economics degree from Yale. He explains that, you know, a lot of people have a failed understanding of the game of baseball, and Billy doesn't really know what to make of this. Uh, I watched this movie uh, with a friend, and she asked why. uh, She's like, he just motioned, and Jonah Hill got up and followed him to the parking lot. I was like... (laughs) If Brad Pitt motioned you to the parking lot, wouldn't you go with him? I would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the so this is the I guess the heart of the story, like the 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 main thing, which is the the nerdification of baseball or sports in general, right? That's that's the the argument that this movie is making. That's Jonah Hill's thing is that while the the council of old white dudes that are currently advising Brad Pitt, you know, they're they're focusing on like the looks and the the personality, the social life of the potential players that they could hire and how much they're worth monetarily. Jonah Hill is you need to focus on the numbers, which seems like a really boring way of approaching sports. He says I can't remember the exact quote, but to your point, he says something like you don't need to buy stars, you need to buy runs. Like you need to figure out how to win. Yeah, so that to me feels like I'm not a sports person, right? But I think that I would feel disrespected if you took something that I love and that I love partly because of the unpredictability of it. And then here comes this guy and whether he's right or wrong, just the fact that he's trying to take the fun out of it, that's that's really what I would think would bother me if I was a baseball person. And even as, as somebody who's not a baseball person, I... I've had that feeling before. Like I, I want to say, like with video games, you know, sometimes you'll be like playing a video game and you're having fun, and then somebody comes and ruins it for you, and they're like, "Oh, you know, all you have to do is like crouch on this corner and just mash the button, and then and, and you win." <laughs> it, that's Jonah Hill in this in this movie. He's the guy that like knows how to do the speed run of Super Mario Three in ten minutes. You have to get the flute, <laughs> and it takes you to the the end yes. world. And that's it. And it's like, okay, and then what happens? You know, you, you took the fun out of it. Um, I wish that the movie had pushed back against this because you can make an interesting movie with that point of view and then an opposing point of view and you have them clash throughout the movie. But the people that oppose Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt are painted as complete assholes. So there's never an interesting back and forth, uh, you know, between these two ideologies. It's just, oh, these guys are idiots uh, and these guys think we're idiots. It, it, that's it. It never goes any further than that. You know, when they start winning, then everybody thinks they're great. And then when they lose, everybody thinks they suck. Like there's no no shades of gray in this uh, in this journey. Yeah. And also neglects the ideology of needing stars. And I think that's a huge thing for any franchise. I can tell you plenty of great ball players, fighters, you know, fucking football players that were utility and using a baseball expression or a, using a baseball analogy, utility infielders that didn't sell a fucking ticket in their entire life. So if the athletics are hoping to have a return season in 03, he's also got to think about not just getting wins, but, you know, making new stars. So to put it in, in layman's terms, it's uh like you could make, you know, what's a, what's a big movie right now? Like the Batman, <laughs> the, yeah. the new Batman movie. Right, you could make that movie with just unknown actors, but nobody's gonna go see it. It could still be just as good, and you'll yeah. you know save a ton of money on the fucking budget. But yeah, no one's gonna go see it because it's statistically good. <laughs> Billy Bean can make the Batman for ten thousand dollars, <laughs> where you're statistically likely to enjoy it, but you got to go see it to do it first. That's what we're looking for. Three ball players, three ball players whose average OBP is 364. So Billy, you know, ruminates with all this and then reaches out to the Indians and he buys Peter Brandt's contract. So Peter goes out to Oakland to begin working for the A's. And the plan is laid out and he explains, you know, on their budget, I believe there's a championship team we can win. And he goes through these different players and the statistical likelihood of them winning and, you know, just getting these players who get on base. And it doesn't matter if they get walked or they get hits. It's just all about getting on base and driving up that, uh, you know, the point average per game. 
we get introduced to Art Howe, who is played by the one and only Philip Seymour Hoffman. The shirt the, uh, two sizes too small. Uh, I don't think so because it, it you just know, one he's size. Just, he's got the thing going. On. Like with me, I'm just a big fatty, but like with him, it's just the the gut. It's you know <laughs> it. It's something you have to work hard to get. I've seen people sometimes that like they're you know he's got the roid belly. If we saw him with his shirt off, he might have fucking cut pecs. It's just all uh, <laughs> it's all carried right in that general region uh, in the midsection. But right away, the tension is palpable between him and Billy, where he tells him, you know, I'm the coach and you need to take care of me first because I can't do this shit on a one year contract, which, God, that would be demoralizing. You know, like I've done contract work and stuff, and I understand that's how it works in the business world, but like sports and shit, man, get signed to a one year contract that doesn't really invoke a lot of confidence in somebody. And so he's the coach of the team. And so you should you would think Billy would be like, all right, let's have this meeting first. You should probably be in on this while we put the team together. Yep. But instead, just kind of, well, I'll get to you when I get to you type thing. But also, you would think that since the movie is very clearly setting up that one of his big problems is the fact that he's only signed up for a year uh, and that he wants to rework his contract, you would think that the movie would eventually take care of that plot line. Right, like I thought that we were building up to a point where the the, the turning point in the relationship between Brad Pitt and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman was going to be Brad Pitt saying, "You're right, I have faith in you," and so here's a five year contract, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman gets on board and you know so on. But that never happens. In fact, like the the, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character is in the movie only to look at Brad Pitt like with an angry stare, and that's pretty much it. You're killing this team. Billy Bean introduces Peter to the troops, the scouts, the coaches, and lays out, this is what we're doing. He puts them in line pretty much, and he even says at one point, this is not a discussion. He runs down the players he wants to pick up and why. So the Oakland A's now know what their direction is. He he doesn't say it quite yet, but later he says, adapt or die. And that's basically what he lays out on the table here. If you don't like it, there's the door. The first player to be enlisted for this rebuilding, this revisionary uh, approach to baseball with the A's is serious actor Andy Dwyer, who plays uh, <laughs> Scott Hatterberg. Who so this was, was Chris Pratt before he was a superstar, right? Like I'm trying correct. to think, 2011 is not even the first Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy was 2014. I, I've forgotten how boring he was before he was a superhero. <laughs> this was the first time he got in shape, though, because they he was you know firmly entrenched in the role of Andy Dwyer, and I. I think this is still when he had like a, you know, the kind of paunch build that he did for the first few seasons of that show. So this is where he kind of began shaving down some LBs uh, to get the role because he was originally rejected for being too big uh, from what I read. So good on him. Uh, But he was a professional catcher who developed nerve damage in his elbow and can't throw the ball anymore. Uh, So they come to him and they just want him for his on base average and Explain to him, this is what we're doing. We're going to have you at first base. Um, Ron Washington, played by Brent Jennings, who is... The only the, black character in the movie? No, there's well, another one. There's two. There's David Justice, the guy who plays on the team. I was about to say, he doesn't. He hasn't shown up yet, though. He comes in later. He's the, the star player they bring in, and using star fairly liberally at that stage of his career. Uh, but Brent Jennings, very funny uh, as Ron Washington. Ron Washington, of course, that's a real character in this story. Uh, the the real life story, not the Hollywood retelling of it. Julio, have we had serious actor Chris Pratt since this? Passengers? <laughs> no, but see, that, that's superstar Chris Pratt. Like, So now Chris Pratt is like approaching the Brad Pitt problem where would you believe Chris Pratt is a regular guy now. You can't because you've seen him as the guy in uh, Jurassic World, and you've seen him as Star Lord. He's he, he's done. So I don't even know that he could play serious actor Chris Pratt if even if he wanted to. Well, then the question must be asked: What do you think about him here? I don't know. I mean, he's he's there. His character doesn't really do much. Okay, so his character has probably the most important moment in the climax. But other than that, I mean, he kind of disappears. He gets this introduction where I thought he was going to be, you know, demonics in, 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 of the team. <laughs> Instead, what happens is through most of the movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman just 
refuses to play him. So we never even see him. He's benched most of the movie. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's not terrible, but he's not. He could have been anyone. Anybody could have played this role. So we already brought up Robin Wright and Spike Jones, the uh, ex-wife of Billy Bean, Robin Wright, and her new husband. Um, you know, they share custody of their daughter. And so we. this is how we meet the daughter character. I don't even remember her name. It's probably something like Calliope or some bullshit. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so this poor girl, I don't know if she has been in other movies. Like if she's in, I hope. Karis Dorsey as Casey Bean. Does she Cassie. have like a like an IMDb page? Does she have a filmography? Casey. Yeah, let's see what uh, else she's been in here. She was in Walk the Line. She was one of the little girls in that. Uh, Moneyball. She was in Ray Donovan as Bridget Donovan. Something called Totem. Okay, so she she stayed because I was gonna say like I wouldn't blame her if after watching this movie she'd be like, nope, never doing this again. Because they did me wrong. And by that, I mean that I remember when, after watching this movie, the discussion around the ending and this little girl singing. And it's not her fault because she's just doing what the director and the screenwriter you know, told her to do. But I want to say that the, the, the consensus, even if you like Moneyball, is that you don't like hearing Brad Pitt's daughter singing twice in the movie. <laughs> once was already too many and that's gotta suck so i'm glad that i you know she decided to keep at it and just have other movies uh but also if this was the last movie she'd made i would completely get it like yeah you know that was fun but i just don't get what they're trying to do with like her character because she's quirky and fun and you know likes to play guitar awesome that's you know music is really good for little kids uh, but I I just don't understand at any point the dynamic they try to establish with her and Brad Pitt. Uh, it's just it doesn't need. belong in the movie. It's just it's it's just cringy. It's cringy because it doesn't belong in the movie. You know, it's like if this Correct. was a, if it was a type of movie where where I mean you can have a very heartfelt movie, a, a very heartfelt scene of of uh, a teenage girl playing the guitar for her workaholic dad and kind of helping him touch base and you know get grounded in reality. But that's not this movie. This movie is not a movie about, about a workaholic dad that needs to uh, reclaim his personal life. This movie is, is, is about a dude that is trying to win. <laughs> it seems specifically put in there to appease people that don't want to watch a baseball movie. It seems like a filmmaker trying to make something. And yes, that is what you need to do to make a movie that succeeds across all spectrums is give access points for everyone watching your movie. At the same time, the story of this movie is so clearly about the ideal of Moneyball and reinventing the game of baseball that this subplot with the daughter does not fit in it anywhere. Like you were saying, it just it it's for, all these scenes with the daughter are from a different movie. And they're from the movie where where Brad Pitt uh, ends up quitting baseball so he can homeschool her or something. And he ends up <laughs> regaining custody, banging Robin Wright like uh, in that mansion <laughs> while Spike Jones has like his noise canceling headphones on and is watching like an old Wings concert. <laughs> and Brad Pitt is giving it to Robin Wright in the kitchen. Okay, that's a different movie, also. <laughs> yeah, at, at this point, baseball's completely out of this. We're, yeah. we're rewriting this movie as like a daughter coming from a broken home. Uh, but her parents are Brad Pitt and Robin Wright. They just look at each other and they're like, yeah, this should happen. <laughs> How did it ever stop happening? Uh, I, I think that the main problem is also just that the the song, the, the, the musical interlude that we get here and then the, the reprise at the end is just so transparent in its attempt to manipulate us into caring about the personal side of it. And it is... <sighs> On top of everything, it's a waste of time because for all the problems I have with the movie, I was already in. Like, if I'm gonna care about Brad Pitt's character, I'm gonna care because there's all those flashbacks showing me, you know, the misery that was his his professional life uh, in baseball before he became a scout and then a manager. I don't need the relationship with his daughter to care because you already did it with the flashbacks. It's just it's overkill and it's sappy and it's cringy and. I feel bad because that little girl, obviously, like I said, she's 
she's young. So at that point, you know, the people that are making the decisions about, you know, her performance and how it looks, uh, you know, they're adults. So they, they're the ones that should have done better. Um, she's going to send us a message like, fuck you guys. I made like 10 grand out of this. <laughs> she's not the problem. It's just what she was given to work with that is. Uh, but yeah, the, the true learning why Billy is doing what he's doing has nothing to do with his daughter or his failed marriage. It stems from the sequence of flashbacks that we get that show that he was a star ball player in high school and he had a full scholarship to, I believe this is Stanford. And he turned that down to sign with the Mets because these scouts said, you know, this guy's a can't miss prospect. And he didn't pan out. He has, uh, and they repeat this throughout the movie. Uh, he has the five tools on his belt. Is that what they say? And I kept waiting for them to tell me what the five tools were. Cause they, they list some- them at one point. It's like the ability to infield, the ability to catch, throw, hit, and hit with power or something like that. Okay. So it's baseball jargon. I, I was hoping it would be something a little more, more uh, accessible to someone like me, you know, like, uh, it's, uh, earth, stamina. Wind, fire, water, yes. uh, <laughs> heart, fucking heart. That was it. <laughs> with these powers combined, he is Billy Bean. Uh, <laughs> No, the the reason I bring it up here is because I took note. It, we see by this point, the flashbacks start like in the late seventies when he was in high school, and then the basically degrading of what happened and the devolving is the word I'm looking for. Uh, but here at this point, they show when he was t- demoted to the minor leagues. He's playing on the Toledo Mudhens. The Toledo Mudhens were the minor league team that, as you would guess, played in Toledo, and I grew up just outside of Toledo. And so I went to plenty of mud hens games when I was a little kid. So that was one of the main things I remember from screening this movie was they show the mud hens, uh, him in the Jersey with the mud hens, you know, logo in the background. And then the Toledo radio station that would play all the games that I popped big for that. Um, did you get the feeling as I did that these flashbacks are a better movie than the movie we got? Like I, 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 would have been much more satisfied watching the the Billy Bean prequel instead of watching Moneyball. Because it looks like, for one, there was a lot more uh, actual baseball being played in those flashbacks as opposed to the actual movie in Moneyball, which is mostly talking about baseball, not really playing baseball so much. No. So I would have, yeah, I would have liked to see the, the, the Billy Bean story, you know, part one. And then if you want to do Moneyball as a spinoff, then that, that's fine. Uh, I would have recast the guy that's playing young Billy Bean, though, because he does not look like he would grow up to be Brad Pitt. They should just CGI Brad Pitt's face on his body like Jeff Garland on Goldberg's or whatever everyone's going <laughs> nuts about on the internet this week. Well, Brad Pitt was in Benjamin Button. They were already de-aged them and <laughs> overaged them. So. Yeah, I, the flashback stuff's whatever. It just fits into... You're getting really into Moneyball, and then the shit will happen that just veers the story off. You can explain that he was a can't-miss LeBron James-esque prospect in his given sport at one point, one point in time, and he didn't pan out in, like, four lines of dialogue. <laughs> and you don't need to keep going back to him failing over and over again, especially when it's not – the movie's not about Billy Bean, per se. That's the whole shit with the family, too, is it keeps, like – veering off and it's like all right so is this about the 2002 season of the oakland a's or is this just about billy bean's fucked up life uh because he's a millionaire and i i don't i'm sorry if i don't have too much sympathy for him right now (laughs) if you got rid of the flashbacks you'd have a two-hour movie yes mercifully (laughs) enough said his uh head scout i believe uh grady is his name quits Tells him, you know, he calls Jonah Hill Google Boy, which I had never caught before. That that sounds like something we would say to make fun of a nerd, so that made me laugh really hard. Uh, he tells him, you know, they're both right. They're both right in this situation, and that's kind of the thing of watching is, yeah, these statistics and shit of, like, how to get on base and how to score, that can work, but Grady's also correct in... This game's been around for over a hundred years, and there's intangibles that go into it that you can't predict, and that you can't just map out with a computer. But of course, Billy's in power, so he's just like, "All right, fuck off." 
Uh, <laughs> it looks like they're going to fight for a second, but then they don't. I got excited. And, and I know. I wanted to see Brad Pitt just lay that guy out. <laughs> I don't know. Grady looked like a tough son bitch. Looked like he had been through a lot of games. Looks like he had seen some shit. <laughs> Would have been a good fight. Fuck you, Billy. So spring training begins for the 2002 season. At this point in the movie, Julio, do you notice Brad Pitt's hair is just starting to take on a life of its own? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he tells uh, Peter, Jonah Hill, this better work. And that was the moment from the trailer I always remember. It's like builds to this big moment of everything, all the chaos, and then the music fades, and then it fades in from black, and then it's just him walking up to Jonah Hill saying, this better work. I'm just kidding. Serious actor Jonah Hill, this better work. Because if it doesn't, you're off to 21 Jump Street. <laughs> Tensions are growing. Animosity increases between Billy Bean and Art Howe as the coach of the team. Billy continuously explains, this is how I need you to play the team for them to work. And Art, like a coach, is like, no, I'm going to put together a team that, you know, we have the best chance of winning with. Billy just explains, well, over time, this will do, you know, it'll work. And it's just two philosophies. And again, both that have legitimacy and credence to them, but they're just butting heads. Tensions are just out of control. We start getting more and more voiceovers of like, you know, the local radio stations and the critics talking about Billy Bean's plan. They said it's called Moneyball. It was uh, invented by a guy named Bill James. And the voiceover was like, Bill James never played baseball. He was a security guard at a pork and beans factory. I thought that was funny. Basically, because it's like this, they're showing these historical documents and then they just show like this static shot of the outside of a pork and beans factory. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not working uh, off the bat, and everyone you know now is Monday morning quarterback or armchair booker type situation of this is how you need to do it, and it's not looking good, and like just tensions are you can cut them with the proverbial knife. We even to show you that Brad Pitt's losing confidence in it, Bennett Miller shows the shot of Brad Pitt driving his car as the sun's setting, and he says to himself aloud, what the hell am I doing? Or something like that. It's <laughs> almost as cringy as the daughter singing to him. It's not explicit enough for Bennett Miller because then we get kind of a montage of Brad Pitt trashing his office and like throwing shit around. <laughs> There's a solid 15 minutes in the middle of this movie when nobody's listening to him. And so his reaction every time he gets bad news, every time somebody back talks him, is he like flip his desk or he throw a chair out in the hallway or he'll uh, grab a bat and start smashing shit around. Uh, it was like, I think he's upset. Tell me more, Bennett Miller. <laughs> the, the only thing that was missing was him singing to himself. Just going, like, I'm just a little afraid. <laughs> ah. <laughs> he's not getting the team he wants he wants Hatterberg, uh starting on first because his batting you know the way he has molded the team uh, and Pena is the player that Howe keeps starting on first Brad just loses his mind and completely restructures the team like on a whim he trades away Pena he trades away um, Jeremy Giambi and you know just basically gets rid of everyone that he can to ensure that the team that all that Art has left is to use the parts the way he wants them used. And he tells him, you're killing this team. Brad Pitt, you know, walks out the room. And it's, I think, the one moment we get of um, Jonah Hill and F Phil Hoffman having a back and forth. It's it's also the last time that Phil Hoffman speaks in the movie. After that, all we see is just reaction shots from him, which is No, insane. that's not true because... He tells Hatterberg to warm up and get in the bullpen at the end when he realizes the Moneyball system is going to work. Oh, oh, that that's what happens in that moment. Yes, <laughs> I think that's the way it's supposed to like what you know the average movie viewer is supposed to interpret it as is I was wrong this whole time. It's I should have been playing though. Moneyball all along. I, I I mean we'll we'll get to it, but that is bullshit. Like if that's what we're supposed to read from that moment, it's it. It's wrong. It completely undermines everything the movie's been doing. We'll get to it. But, okay. <laughs> Forget about that last bit. Like, this is the last time that Phyllis Seymour Hoffman has any sort of significance in the in the movie. Which is absurd, because there's still like an hour left in the movie. I know. Gone too soon. He, they just wrote him off. Uh, do you think he has more screen time in Almost Famous? I was actually thinking, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually thinking about that earlier. Um, 
I think he has more here, but he probably has he definitely has longer monologues and more lines of dialogue in Almost Famous. More impact in Almost Famous. Uh definitively. <laughs> so where do you rank like how do you rate this Clash of the Titans? Hill versus Hoffman. It's just a quick back and forth. It was just one of those things that, you know, it had been a few years since I had seen this and I was like, oh shit, this is their only interaction in the movie. And just kind of more of like, what if we had gotten these two playing off each other in a more prominent way? Because all that happens is he get, he asks Peter, you believe in this and or you think this is right, uh, the right move for the team or something like that. And Peter says, 100%. <laughs> so it, really, it's sad we didn't get more from them or something else with those two. So this little moment here just exists as like this kind of just fun footnote when I wish it could have been more, you know? You could have closed the movie if the whole point uh, of the of the Phil Hoffman arc is going to be that he learns to appreciate the Moneyball approach, then a nod, at least a nod of acknowledgement. Because Jonah Hill is there at the games, at every game. So that that could have been the payoff, right? Like he, he goes up to Jonah Hill or even just sees him across from the stadium or whatever and just gives him the nod. And it's like, you were right. <laughs> or he just walks up to him and goes, 100%. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that that's it. it. It's a bummer. I I had forgotten how little Phil Seymour Hoffman amounted to in this movie. Yeah, I don't want to go fifteen rounds, Billy. We get to the famous or infamous trade deadline scene where it's that it's the trade deadline. So Billy wants to make some big moves happen. Uh, Peter's in the office with them. They're trying to get uh, Ricardo Rincon on their team, and. Uh, I can't remember if this was Brad's Oscar clip from this, but this this was definitely Jonah's, right? Yeah, the him with the, the closing the, the fist phone. and yeah, yeah doing the yeah. motion. They eventually get what they want from this, but before we get there, would you be in agreement with me that this is definitely like Sorkin's shining <laughs> scene? Yes. And in terms of like this screams Aaron Sorkin wrote this scene uh while presumably high on crack cocaine. <laughs> Yes, this is a Steve Zalian was like, all right, man, I'll give you this one. <laughs> this, this is a trade. Uh, you let me keep the, the song at the end and you get to write the, the scene with the trades. Deal, deal. And that's this is the most Sorkin moment in the movie. Easily. It's crazy. I, I just don't know. I mean, clearly, they're both very gifted writers. You listed oh, yeah. the credits earlier in the episode, but I don't think that they're the best team like collaboration wise, I just don't think that they uh, complement each other well, and I think that most of this the problems scene really sticks out because of that. Yep, yeah, it's it's a different rhythm, it's different uh, uh, tone, it's it's very jokey in that you know Sorkin way, or and uh, very quippy, and uh, there are moments like that in the movie that they're briefer, you know, where it just suddenly becomes a Sorkin script, and there's quips, and there's just like a lot of back and forth. And then there's moments that are very reflective and things slow down and all that. And I don't think it meshes very well. The Oakland Athletics uh, now in the 2002 season begin going on their winning streak. The parts are finally in place and it's just things are in motion. The money ball is working. So they begin going on this winning streak. And before too long, they realize that potentially winning 20 games in a row is in the discussion which would be a, a history-making feat in the history of uh, the league. So they're going towards it, and they finally get to that game. You know, it's the, they've won 19 in a row, and they're going to 20. So they make it to the day, and this is where, I guess this is Robin Wright's only other scene, and it's just a voiceover. A voiceover, yeah. Yeah, where she calls Billy and says, you did good, and uh, he's he's actively not listening to the game. He's driving, yes. and she calls to tell him the score, basically. <laughs> well, because then his daughter hops on and's like, "Dad, you got to go back to the game." He's like, "Nah, I'm not gonna do that." Bah! And she convinces them to turn around and do so, and he like hangs up the phone and he turns it on, and it's like, you know, magic's happening in Oakland, an eleven to zero lead for the Oakland Athletics. So then he goes to the game. And as soon as he gets there, things kind of start going awry. And, you know, he views himself as this bad luck, this curse, so to speak. Dark um, clouds literally appear over the stadium. <laughs> so then 
how, how long you reckon the sequence of the film is? It's at least 15 minutes, right? Uh, it certainly feels like it. And uh, this is, okay, so this is where you think that Phil Hoffman sees the light. Yes, like where they're down and it's the bottom of the ninth and he tells Hatterberg to go up there. He has that moment of reflection and introspection and he's like, well, fuck it. If we're going to try what he wants us to try, let's try it now. I don't think he thinks it works, I should say. <laughs> I think it's just more of him taking the, the risk and seeing what happens. Um, so this whole sequence is like presented as this massive triumph when uh, Chris Pratt gets up there and hits the game-winning home run, uh-huh. which is cool because they won 20 in a row. Um, I, I would like to remind everybody, they were ahead 11-0 to 0 <laughs> in a professional baseball game, <laughs> and they blew that lead. They blew it. Uh, it's even worse than that, Alex. It is. This is the moment where the movie doesn't even have the conviction in its own uh, argument because... The whole point is that Chris Pratt is there not to hit home runs. He's just supposed to get on base. That's that's the entire formula, right? And then suddenly they they make it to where the winning move is him hitting a home run. It it he's in a way he's proving Jonah Hill wrong. But the movie sells it as this big triumphant moment, like ah, vindication. It was like no, you just proved that this was all for nothing because the only way that you won the game is by a player doing the one thing that he was not supposed to do. And nobody acknowledges it because it would have been cool if that happens. And then Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt are having their conversation after the game. And Jonah Hill goes like, uh, I, I don't know anything. (laughs) 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 Fucking Chris Pratt was was not supposed to do it. The answer was inside you all along, Brad (laughs) Pitt. You knew the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, also, wasn't the whole point of this this magic montage that takes him all the way to to the twentieth victory? Wasn't the whole point that Phil Seymour Hoffman was finally playing ball and and doing what Brad Pitt wanted? So, so Chris Pratt was already being used the way he was supposed to be used. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's different if he's been benched the entire season and only now. Uh, for the first time, uh, Phil Zimmerhoffman brings him out to play because he's like, "Fuck it!" Like, like you said, you know, we're. What else am I gonna do? Let's let's give this a shot. But no, that that's not what's happening. Like he's been an active player most of the season since they started winning. So again, that's that doesn't work as, as dramatically. Uh, yeah, I I hated it, and you know what I hated even more that this felt like the end of the movie, <laughs> and then the movie still had like twenty minutes more to go. Yeah, because we have to be sure to call out that, yes, they had this big achievement, but then they, they did not win the season. They lost the season, in fact. Uh, who ended up winning the 2002 season? The Anaheim Angels ended up winning the 2002 World Series. So, Did anybody make a movie about them? No, not yet, at least. <laughs> so the Athletics lose the season. Brad Pitt's really down about this. Billy Bean is upset about what's happened. Uh, but he gets called to Boston to interview for uh, the position of general manager for them as the the owner seems very interested in you know what he did and very intrigued by the prospect of him being able to do that with a much higher budget and you know the ability to make a difference for them and win the World Series for the Red Sox as um, they even reference the curse of the Bambino and uh, bring in something to the table for them that they need. Because at that point, it had been over 80 years since they won a World Series. So, so they were really just trying anything they could, even if it meant bringing Brad Pitt in. Fuck it. We, we just got to take a chance and see what happens. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just like make an offer to Jonah Hill? Because he'd probably be cheaper. Yeah, they offered fucking Billy Bean $12 million. They could have gotten Jonah for two. <laughs> if that... Just a dollar and free free soda for three years. There you go. He goes back to Oakland and he t- tells Jonah this offer that he got. And he doesn't want to take it, though, and he ends up not taking it. He, he wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish with the Oakland A's. Um, but, you know, he's a strange cat, this Billy Bean, or at least the way Brad Pitt portrays him. Because, you know, he... <laughs> He shows them the dollar amount, and Jonah Hill's like, that would make you the highest-paid general manager in the history of professional sports. And it's like, so what? And then he looks around the clubhouse. He's like, God, what a dump. <laughs> uh, 
Peter tells them to come along with him and they go to the uh, footage room where they just have all their tapes and hours and hours of uh, material for studying and shows them this play uh, from a recent game. I believe it's a double a game and uh, this uh, big fella hits a home run, but he doesn't realize it. He, he never runs the second. He, um, well, he tries to round first after hitting this and he falls. And so, you know, he thinks it's this big embarrassing moment, but then he gets up and realizes that he hit a home run and, Gets to run all the way around a home plate, and it's this really feel-good moment. Do you get it, Alex? <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> and in case you weren't aware of what what this symbolized, uh, Jonah Hill turns to Brad Pitt and he goes, it's a metaphor. And Brad Pitt, <laughs> speaking for anyone with half a brain watching the movie, says, I know it's a metaphor. So this scene ends... And you think he's going to take the job, right? Well, I guess you didn't because you already knew the story. This scene ends and I think the movie's over. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But then he's driving and I guess his daughter has made him a tape, right? That's a, this is before, he's not playing it from his phone. It's like an actual tape. It's a CD. It's a CD. There you go. And... Did you not, was that not a thing in Peru, burning CDs and drawing on them with Sharpies to make cool logos? Uh, not in Peru, but when I moved here, my first few years in the States, I, I was Hell burning. Enough. Yeah. Um, so he's driving around, and at the moment that we're all dreading happens. And <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the song, ha- well, I mean, so the, his daughter shows up like three or four times during the movie. The first time she yeah. sings the song, and then... Yep. I don't know about you, but every time she shows up since then, I was afraid that she was going to sing. And then it happens at the end. And there seems to be, the movie's trying to draw some sort of correlation between him listening to this song and him deciding that, nope, you know what? I'm not going to take the offer. I'm just going to stay here in Oakland and and just keep trying to make my shitty team happen. And but then she replaces the lyrics where she says, you're such a loser, Dad. Just enjoy the show. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> any any possible interpretation someone could tell me they took from this about like you know he 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 just needs to appreciate what he's done and it's there that was literally all said three minutes ago in the scene that preceded this <laughs> yes <laughs> and for all his shortcomings uh you know the the metaphor scene like it at least jonah hill wasn't singing thank god yeah i i, I don't get it I don't. It's such an uh, anticlimax of a final, you know, sequence because it fades to black, and then you find out his decision just by like a title card. <laughs> just, by the way, he didn't take the job. That's it. I want to know what happened to Jonah Hill. I, I guess Jonah Hill was. It's a, it's a uh, fuck. What does it say when they show the Rock's character in Pain and Gain? Oh. Paul Doyle is currently free and still searching for forgiveness. <laughs> they should have just showed Jonah Hill's face of that same title card with no explanation. <laughs> Man. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, they, the final reveal is uh, the text epilogue of, in 2004, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series using the model that you know Billy founded which fuck off <laughs> breaking the team's 86 year drought and uh yeah yes they may have implemented ideas from that but again it's should have listened to Grady man there's certain intangibles that you can't attribute to just this system alone but if we did that then the movie might not be as engaging <laughs> Who wants to watch a movie about Brad Pitt just getting along with everybody in his team? <laughs> See, and so for that, I will say I'm fine with that. Uh, and the idea of wanting to make it an engaging movie and kind of, you know, bend the truth a little bit. Uh, so my criticism would come in of saying, then why isn't your movie completely good? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do this, then... you've taken all these liberties and yet you've still somehow screwed up uh, some of the narrative here and storytelling with your film. Uh, well, that sounds like something we should discuss in uh, the second part of the show. The, if you sing at tomatoes. all in the second half, I will fucking drive over to your house and punch <laughs> you in the face. 
<laughs> Only one way to find out, Alex. Uh, let's let's go to real talk, and we'll, we'll see you over there, listeners. We're gonna take our seventh inning stretch, and we'll catch you on the other side. Had to get in a sports reference. <laughs> I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life is a maze, and love is a riddle. I don't know where to go. Can't do it alone. I've tried, and I don't know why. I'm just a little girl lost in the moment. I'm so scared. But I don't show it, I can't figure it out It's bringing me down, I know I've got to let it go And just enjoy the show